That's not funny. That's not funny at all. <laughs> I don't think that's funny at all. Hey folks, this is Rich Outfield, and you are listening to Rich Outcast. And as chance would have it, I am stuck in traffic again at the exact same place where I was on the, um, to your <laughs> very good health episode. I've done construction on this road, and so there's only one lane, and traffic just stops until it opens for us. To wait for the pilot car and there's a line of cars ahead of me and a guy the driver just got out i thought he was going to pee but it looks like he's smoking a cigarette why would you get out of the car to smoke a cigarette maybe it's his sister's car or something and she doesn't allow smoking uh, but it's a, a pretty good sign we'll be here for a long time if the driver gets out of the car this episode is sort of another frankensteinian creation. I got together with Big Anklevich. Thank you. And I recorded a little sketch that I wrote. And I edited it and looked at it. And it's not quite long enough for there to be an episode, for it to be the whole episode. But the other day I was driving and I'm trying to remember there was a joke. Dang. At the time I heard the joke, it made me laugh, but I understood why people would be offended by it. And I thought, you know, that could be the basis of an episode where I talk about like the differences in people's sense of humors. And to quote an old sitcom, what might be right for you might not be right for some. But now I can't remember what the joke was. It was... It wasn't like insanely vulgar, insanely racist, but it was one of those where it's just like, you know, it had a dark tinge to it. And uh, what was the context? I th okay, I'm thinking that it was on Facebook. Somebody had reposted something that they had written like 10 years ago. And they said, not sure that this joke would fly today. And I read the post and I thought it was very funny. And then I read the comments and there were a couple that were like, yeah, buddy, I wouldn't have shared that. Not in 2023. And somebody else is like, I think it's even more funny in 2023. I, I'm, I'm not very good at making up jokes. When I was in college and my roommate said, you should stand up and do some open mic night comedy. I was just like, I don't. I know how to tell f stories and make them funny. You know, something that happened to me and I embellish it a little bit or I only point out the humiliating aspects. I know how to do that, but I don't know how to make up jokes. And I think that I believed that that was what comedians did was they had a bunch of jokes and they just told them. But there are lots of comedians that tell funny stories. They're big, elaborate stories. Probably the biggest stand-up comic in the country right now is John Mulaney. He told that story about the what's new pussycat 
at the jukebox that I played, I believe, on here, or it might have been a Patreon address. Yeah, that's the sort of thing where it's like an eight-minute story that's very, very funny. It has setups and payoffs. It has punchlines, but it feels a lot more like him telling you about something that happened to him that you might get a kick out of. I remember a couple years ago, I went to a friend from high school's house. He'd invited a bunch of buddies from high school, and this was the first time that I had been on the receiving end. And people were telling stories, and I thought, well, I'll tell about the time that my brother caught a skunk in the backyard of our parents' house. And I, I feel like I had told... Cathexis, my, my niece, the story, but I don't, I, I'm not sure that I had told anybody else. And I told this group, and when I got to the end of the story, people were like bowled over with laughter. I mean, I was really surprised that they found it that funny. And it made me feel like a celebrity. It made me feel like a John Mulaney, I guess. And what's funny is that Steve, the guy's whose house I was at, invited me to go to the movies with him and his friends not long after that. And I was just like, but I, I only know you. I don't know any of your friends. I, I, I. And so I, I don't think I even responded. I think like a week later, I said, oh, hey, just got your message. Sorry about that. And that's it. And then he said, we should get together at my house again sometime. <laughs> and I didn't reply. I... There is something wrong with me, obviously. But we were talking about things that people think are funny and things that people don't think are funny. And an example that I always go to is my very first year of community college. I just turned 18 and I took a intro to film class. And essentially, the teacher would talk about a certain kind of movie and then he would roll in the vcr and the television and we would watch it and then the next week he would have a different subgenre and one of the subgenres was coming of age and he brought in the vhs of a movie called summer of 42 and we all watched it in the class and i remember really not liking it I've not seen it since then. I don't believe that I've talked about it to anybody in all these years. But the next week was comedy, although it might have been like farce or something like that, because I think we did different kinds of comedy in the class. And the movie that he brought in was Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which I had already seen multiple times by that point. But I was fine to watch it again. And watch it with a big group. And if you recall, the Holy Grail movie ends with sort of a fake out where a policeman puts his hand over the camera and then the music plays and you just have blackness and it just keeps playing and just keeps playing. And I'd love to have seen what audiences in 19, was it 74? Thought of that because How long do you sit there, assuming that the movie comes back? And it's all just a 
a prank on the audience to see how long they will give it, assuming the movie is not yet over. But it was. Anyway, when this bit was playing in the class and the teacher was sitting in his seat and people who hadn't seen the movie before were just waiting for it to come back, right? People who had seen it knew that that was it. And finally, there was this guy and I always give him like this strong cowboy accent because that's how I remember him. But it's mostly because I imitated his voice so many times. He was just like, what the hell is this? That movie wasn't funny at all. That movie we watched last week, 42 summers ago or whatever, was way funnier than this one. I, I didn't laugh at all. It's all this French humor. Ugh. Why'd you make us watch that for me? And there were people in the class that were laughing. What were you laughing at? And he might as well have said, I didn't think that was funny at all. That really surprised me because up till that point, I think Python, the Holy Grail and Airplane were probably like the two funniest movies that I knew of. And um, I had really disliked Summer of 42. And I've always felt like, well, that was my fault. But if somebody doesn't like Holy Grail, that's their fault. But, you know, to each their own. They, everybody's sense of humor is different. And I guess I should probably pull out two or three examples of things that are funny to me. Okay, so the first one that came to mind is in The Empire Strikes Back where they're in Cloud City and C-3PO is following them and then he hears an astromech droid and he says, that sounds like an R2 unit. I wonder if, hello, and he goes off and he looks where he's not supposed to look, if you recall. A silver protocol droid comes out of this doorway and 3PO goes, nice to see a familiar face, which is in itself kind of comedy it's kind of a joke isn't it because he and 3PO look very similar right they're the same model probably although this one is silver and 3PO is gold so 3PO goes nice to see a familiar face and this droid goes eat you in this heavily modulated robotic voice and 3PO goes how rude as a little boy, I laughed so hard at that that I feel like we had to rewind it three or four times. I first saw Empire on VHS the day that it came out. I guess I would have been 85. But, oh my gosh, it, it was so funny. And part of it is that it's left to your imagination what the droid said. I always find CH words funny. I've told you that before. Chalupa is one of my favorite words. I say the word chingasso about uh, conservatively six or seven times a day. There are times when I call Big Anklevich and he's like, hey, chingasso, what's going on? <laughs> Which leads me to believe that he spent way too much time with me. There was that horror movie Chud, that's C-H, and I find the word Chud funny. Like, you know, an ugly guy can be referred to as a chud. The word chupacabra is fun to me. Chupa is a funny word. It means, it means suck. Chunder 
the Aussie slang for vomiting is very, very funny to me. Very often in my stories, I will have a character whose last name is Choner. And that came from, I had a roommate who told me about the practice of choning, where you would strike a fellow student in the genitals with your book bag or, you know, history book. And he, he claimed that the principal or one of the teachers made uh, an announcement that there will be no more choning at this school. And to me, that was the funniest thing that the principal would know that it was a problem and he would know the slang term for what people were doing. And he expected that his audience knew what the word was enough to say that we're banning choning. Anyhow, I guess I've talked for a long, long time about CH words that amuse me, but they do. There's just something about that sound and the words that I laugh at. And so when that droid says, Ichuta, there, there you've got a CH too. It's just something that I've never found not funny. And for years and years, I would have said it was the funniest part in the whole Star Wars series. But there's that moment in Phantom Menace where one of the Nemoidians has this thing over its mouth. And I almost want to say it has it over its eyes as well. And it goes, I've gone until the ventilation shaft. And every time I saw the movie, I would laugh at that. But what's strange, okay, so three years later, since we're talking about Star Wars, three years later, episode two came out. And every time I went to it, there was this part where Padme had fallen out of a transport and she'd fallen onto the, the sand, onto a sand dune or something like that. They, they go back to rescue her. And Anakin says, are you all right? And she goes, yes. And I think I saw the movie three times in the theater. And all three times, it got a huge laugh. And the first time that it got a laugh, I thought, oh, I missed something. And the second time it got a laugh, I said, hey, there's that laugh again. What? What was that? What? Why are people laughing? And the third time I paid attention. And I was like, why are people laughing? What? Are you okay? Yes. But when the movie came out on video, on DVD, George Lucas had changed that part. So Anakin would say, are you okay? And Padme said, uh-huh. So whatever it was that made audiences laugh those three times that I saw it, uh, it must have been universal to the point where Lucas changed that to take out the laugh. It was an inadvertent laugh, I guess. I'm, I guess I'm talking about things that I find funny and other people don't or things that other people find funny and I don't. Sometimes the kids will watch the Disney Channel sitcoms, you know, aimed at tweens. And there'd be times where I was just like, holy crap, this is unfunny. This is terrible. And I didn't understand the appeal of it, except for that I think that having young characters 
that kids can relate to or aspire to be or fantasize about is a very, very attractive thing. But it may also be just that there is sophomoric, really low-brow, low-stakes, non-clever humor that young people like. They haven't seen it all before a million times, maybe. Big used to always talk about the animated films that his kids would watch and just how stupid they were. Nobody had made any effort. There was nothing good in the writing. There was nothing good in the animation. But because it was made for kids, there was a built-in audience, no matter how bad it was. And I just, I found that very hard to get my head around. But um, just last week, and I'm trying to remember what the circumstance was. There's was some reason I didn't want to go to sleep. But I was watching a show on, on demand. Oh, I remember. I watched a show for the Outfield Excursion show that Marshall and I do together. And it was on 2B. And yeah, just here's a little side note. 2B is a very, very funny name for a channel. T-U-B-I. 2B. It's a stupid name, but it's also amusing to me. Anyway, 2B has various things that you can stream on it. And then you have to watch commercials. But it's free. And so while I was watching Alan Quartermain on there, when that ended, it had things that it recommended, things that I might enjoy. And one of them was Gilligan's Island. And I got to say, from about the age of 5 to 12 or, or so, Gilligan's Island was my all-time favorite television show. I loved Gilligan's Island. I think Transformers came around in 1984, and maybe that supplanted it. But somebody had made this mistake of showing Transformers on Sunday mornings, and so I could never see it. And then I think in 85, Moonlighting started. And that was all she wrote, ladies and gentlemen. But for that stretch of time... Before Moonlighting, Gilgan's Island was just my favorite show, and I have always had a tremendous love for Gilgan's Island. I just, I love the song, I love the characters, I love the actors, uh, except for uh, Tina Louise. I, I think, I thought, the world of Gilgan's Island. But I hadn't watched an episode since I was about 11 years old. So we are talking a long, long time without Gilligan's Island. But it was part of my generation zeitgeist. It was part of, uh, it was a touchstone that everybody of my age group had, even though it was from before we were born, probably because it was sold into syndication and just shown over and over and over again. And it must have been one of those shows like Star Trek that had continual ratings in syndication to the point where they're like, nope, let's buy this package again next year or keep showing it. Syndication is where the money is, right? You know that. I had read up about Gilligan's Island. I remember when I first, when I lived in LA and I didn't have any money. I used to go to the bookstore and I would just 
go and you could park, I think for 90 minutes, maybe it was two hours. Let's say it was two hours for free. But after that two hours had passed, then you had to pay. And so I would just go and for almost two hours, I would sit and just read their books. Like it was a lending library. Anyway, at one of those trips, Sherwood Schwartz had written a book about the making of Gilligan's Island. And I think I sat down and I read the whole book while I was at Borders. And sometimes I would read the Wikipedia articles about Gilligan's Island. Was like, when did it go from black and white to color? How many seasons did it have? How many episodes total were there? You know. <laughs> Long story short, I clicked on the first episode of Gilligan's Island. And what's interesting is it says season one, episode two. And that's because the pilot, which didn't air for 30 years, I don't think it aired until the 90s because it had a different, it had a different and the rest. It had the Howells, but it had a professor surrogate, two other girls that were not Ginger and Marianne in it. But for some reason, and it's probably because on DVD, you put in episode one, sorry, season one, episode one, and it shows you the unaired pilot. But the second episode was the first episode that aired, where it starts with them just having beached in fact, it shows scenes from the, the unaired pilot, which I think is interesting because there were a number of months in between the first episode and the pilot, as often happens. And so you can see like the differences. But anyhow, I put on that first episode and I watched it and I watched the commercials and everything, but it wasn't very good. It was really really juvenile, sophomoric, lowbrow humor, really dumb. And I felt kind of bad because I've loved Gilligan's Island for so long, but I thought I can't appreciate it as an adult. But there's this line from Gilligan's Island that has echoed in my head for 40 years where Skipper is, is berating Gilligan for some screw-up that he's made. And Gilligan says, you don't have to yell. And Skipper goes, I'm not yelling! And Gilligan looks at the camera and says, I'd hate to hear you whisper. And for some reason, I always thought that was so funny as a child, as a preteen, as a teenager, as a 20-something, as a 30-something, as a 40-something. But now, now that I've watched Gilligan's Island as an old, old man, I don't think that I would find that line funny if I watched it on the show. Which is sad, but of course not everything can last, you know? Nothing gold ever stays, Pony Boy. Stuff that you used to really, really love, eventually, the, the luster wears off. Although, I still love Transformers. I just mentioned that. Wait, wait, wait. We got to put an asterisk in that because I think if I watched an episode of the television show of Transformers today, I would think it's really stupid. I think I would have to because it was made for children, right? And the animation probably wasn't very good. The only thing that was top notch was the voice work. I could be wrong. 
last time I went to San Diego Comic-Con, they were showing the movie, the 1986 Transformers movie. And there were a bunch of us in line that were crying. And so that clearly still plays to an adult middle-aged audience. I recently had to clear out my, uh, the basement room, which I loaded all my stuff into when I first moved. And I'd been using as like a, an office kind of thing to do all my, my work and packaging things up and stuff. And it was just so, so filled with things, things from when I lived in LA, things from, well, probably not from before the stuff from before I cleared out when we cleared out my dad's house and I put it all in storage or in garbage cans. There were so many boxes where I was just like, do I need, I don't need this garbage. And, um, I found a signed picture of Bob Denver dressed as Gilligan, but he's, he was old. He was already like in his seventies in the picture, but he's got the red shirt with the white collar and the hat that I had gotten right before I lost my job in LA. You know, I still had some disposable income in those days and, uh, I joined the Bob Denver fan club because if you joined, you'd get a signed picture of Gilligan. Anyway, it was uh, 2005 that I signed up for that fan club and I got the autographed picture from him. Although probably it was just an assistant that signed it, huh? <laughs> but he died in September of 05. So I always thought that it was nice that I had gotten that before he died. And uh, I think it got ruined uh, when the basement flooded. A lot of stuff got ruined. Why am I talking about Gilligan's Island so much? I don't know. I go, ooh, that one, that is not one of my favorites. Look, I'm gonna retire that one. I really don't like that one. So that, I promise you, that's the last time you'll ever hear that one. My Uncle Ali would always tell like really, really offensive jokes, you know, dead baby kind of jokes, jokes that involved the N-word. And uh, when I was little, he told this child molester joke that was so, so dark. It was one of those where you laugh in like shock that anybody could tell that joke. But what's weird is it's been 30 years, I think, since he told that joke. And I still think that it's funny. But part of it is, I think that it's funny that someone would be brazen enough to tell that joke. Perhaps that my sister and I were talking yesterday about the difference between our Uncle Ali and, you know, the different kind of crackpot, the different kind of right wing conspiracy theory, gobbling, psycho that you'll see from time to time. And, and we were talking about the differences and I, I was saying, well, Ali has a line that he won't cross. And my sister didn't agree with that. And she may actually be right that now he no longer has that line because we went and visited him in February and he said something in front of my mom that really upset her. And she said, well, that's the last time we'll be going and staying at his house. 
And I said, oh, you know what? He was joking around. He, he always runs his mouth. And she's like, not like this. No more. I don't want my grandchildren around that. And I just, I thought, huh. Because that's what Ali's always been like. I've gone to quite a few movies this year. I've started going to movies by myself again. And sometimes I'll take my nephews. Like, I took both of them to see in, Across the Spider-Verse. And long story short, they have these little comedic, I say it with quotes in the air, vignettes or something that they show at the beginning uh, right before the movie rolls you know what i mean they'll have like commercials then they'll have previews you know of coming attractions the trailers as they call them <laughs> i'm explaining to you what trailers are sorry then they'll usually have a commercial for coke and they'll have a commercial for the theater chain and there are various theater chains in America, AMC, Regal, Cinemark. I remember Magic Johnson had a bunch of theaters in Southern California, and sometimes I would go there. And they all have their own little intro, welcome to the show, thanks for coming to Regal, or whatever it is. Videos, but there's this one that they show where a bunch of people are coming into the movie theater. They're all young people. And they speak only in movie quotes. But, oh my gosh, it sucks. It sucks so, so much. And you've seen that clip from the, uh, I think it's an Adam Sandler movie where Steve Buscemi is playing a high school student. He's got like a letterman jacket on. And he goes, what's up? fellow young people where like clearly he's like in his 40s or something like that trying to blend in to a high school probably in a 21 jump street kind of scenario or, or, or whatever it is but that's what this it's an amc right the promo at the beginning feels like it feels like people that are super out of touch trying to relate to young people and it doesn't work but it's worse than that it fills me with anger with, with there are these quotes like one goes, hey, you guys in the lobby and they're quoting. I think almost all of the quotes are from movies before these actors were born. But one of them says something and the other goes, you're saying there's a chance. But it's a non sequitur. It's like these lines don't connect to each other. Yes, somebody in a lobby might shout, hey, you guys, but they do it in Chunk's voice from the Goonies. It's all happening. This thing is nicer than my apartment. <laughs> Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. So I got that going for me, which is, is nice. nice. Oh, Mr. Musk. That's going to leave a mark. She's beauty and she's grace. Hey, you guys! Not a man purse, it's called a satchel. You can't sit with us. So you're telling me there's a chance. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. Ask F. You sit on the throne of lies. This is the beginning of a beautiful friendship.
hate this so, so much. And that I, I think it's AMC. I won't, I don't go to their theaters anymore. It's Regal, kid. Regal. And I discovered that there was like a whole, is it called a subreddit? A Reddit page that was dedicated to this promo. And there were all of these comments on it from people that find it funny, that hate it, that find it funny that people hate it. And then, yeah, people like me were just, it sends them into an uncontrollable rage. And it amused me so much to read all of these posts about it. <laughs> I, I know that people say that the internet is like the worst thing in the world. And that's fine if you believe that. And it, it probably is. You know, it, the, the, the unfiltered nature of the internet where you can just say whatever you want and there's no consequences. Yeah, I almost went on a third or fourth tangent. I pity whoever is listening to this, who listens all the way through to the outtakes. Although I, maybe I won't include them all. Yes, I, I understand that the internet is often incendiary and people speak without thinking. And because you're anonymous, you can say the quiet part aloud. But it also brings people together who have similar likes, who have similar passions, and reminds us that we're not completely alone in the world. And to know that there are other people out there that when the young person, I just made quotes in the air again, says, you're saying there's chance that there are other people that when that is said, they want to go on a killing spree. It made me feel better. In fact, it calmed the savage beast inside me a little bit to know that there are other people that just hate it. I like that. I'm happy about that. <laughs> this was all supposed to be about things that you find funny that I don't find funny. Things that you do find funny that I don't find funny. And... If I had a little bit more time, I'd probably talk your ear off about like various sketches on Saturday Night Live, you know, things that I just love to the nth degree. I love the Lord and Lady Douchebag sketch, I think from 1980. And I love, I love Who's On First, the Abbott and Costello routine. There are a couple things where it doesn't matter how many times I watch it or hear it, I laugh. And then there are other things that not even once have I ever laughed? And it, you, you are able to bond with other people when you find out that they feel the same way. And one of the things that made Big Anklevich and I such good friends was that we both felt the same way about the Star Wars trilogy. We just, it came along at a point where we were young and impressionable and it opened up our imaginations. Probably more for me, I think, than for him because he got into like G.I. Joe after he outgrew Star Wars, and I didn't get into G.I. Joe. I was still into Star Wars longer than everybody else around me. And then I found out that he was a giant fan of Monty Python. He loved Monty Python more than anyone I have ever known. And he knew sketches I didn't know. 
he had actually seen the show, which I think is the difference between him and me. <laughs> Sorry. But he would quote these sketches. He would tell them to me. And I was like, that is so funny. I've never seen that. And he knew him. And it just made, it was really neat to hear him tell the Monty Python. And there were times when he would show me the sketches that he'd been talking about. And they weren't as good as how they were in my imagination when he described them to me. Does that make sense? But anyhow, some of those Monty Python sketches are just so brilliant and subversive and just like, you know, so ahead of their time. I was like, this was 1969? This was 1970? Oh my goodness, you know, that kind of stuff. And Big is always going to have more knowledge about it than I am. And I love to hear him talk about it. He's never been a fan of Saturday Night Live, or, but I have like an encyclopedic knowledge of Saturday Night Live and I love to talk about it. But, you know, it's not something that he and I are going to, to bond over. Okay, you know what? I've gone way too long. This is no longer funny. Was it ever funny? Let me get to the meat and potatoes of the episode. Okay, hey, so Big, I've, I've got this thing that uh, I would like you to do with me. But before you do, I need to preface it. Okay. That uh, I went on a vacation and my niece's boyfriend put on this show called I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. Have you heard of this show before? No. Um, I've heard of Tim Robbins, but not Tim Robinson. I, as far as I know, it's no relation. It's not his son? <laughs> but, that, you know, that would make sense if it were. <laughs> he was on Saturday Night Live briefly, and he was, like, really uncomfortable as being a cast member, and he preferred to, to write. And he's, as far as I know, the only cast member to ever switch to being a writer rather than the other way around. Because like all of the writers get hired hoping that one day they can be a cast member and get lots and lots of tang. But he was just like, no, I don't even like NASA. <clears throat> and so um, <laughs> he, he, he was a writer. But apparently, and according to my, my niece's boyfriend, he was so out there, like his ideas were so off the wall and effed up that they would almost never get on the air. And eventually, you know, he's like, this is not a good fit for me. And where's the door? kind of thing but he Aaron the the boyfriend showed me an episode and as it started he says I'm gonna make you watch the whole thing and I thought he meant a whole episode which uh, you know it's quite an ask you know to force a stranger to do but no that's not what he was was saying he was saying he was gonna make me watch the whole series and it's just a sketch show without any like through lines or themes or anything it would just just sketch after sketch after sketch and they're not in front of like a studio audience they're all single camera things and they were so so effed up and and like every third one i would laugh because you know it was funny but it funny and like a oh my gosh man oh holy who thought this up sort of way like the, there was one where it was a commercial for like a security system. And the guy was saying, you know, I know that you think that, you know, if you've got an alarm that you're safe in your house. It's like, but look at this doggy door. It's like, what's to keep raccoons from coming in or burglars? And then he says, or this. And this naked man 
with like a deformed head crawls through the the the, the doggy door and and he's he's deformed like a monster like quasimodo and he's on his hands and knees and he attacks the guy and he goes ah and he says i made this product for a reason this really happened to me <laughs> And they flash back to him sitting on the couch and he's like reading a newspaper or whatever. And he hears a sound and this thing comes in through the doggy door and, you know, jumps up on him on the couch and he's screaming. And, and uh, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is so messed up. I'm never going to be able to unsee this. <laughs> and then they cut to the neighbor and the neighbor says, yeah, I've got a pig. And I put a Richard Nixon mask on the pig's head and sent it through the doggy door. I don't know what he thinks he saw. <laughs> Anyway, Aaron was just like, isn't this brilliant? And uh, the, the example I was going to give you was there's this scene where this guy is backing out of a parking space in a car and this other car comes and cuts him off. And he honks and he rolls down his window and he says, what's the matter with you? Don't you know how to drive? And Tim Robinson sticks his head out the window of the other car and says, no, I don't. And he says, what? I don't, I don't know how to drive. And he's just like, well, what are you doing behind the wheel of a car? And he says, I don't, I don't know. And then it goes on for like another minute and a half of him not being able to function and not knowing how a steering wheel works and not knowing what a seatbelt does and not knowing about the mirrors. And I was just like, oh no, man, I, something is broken in me because this is, this is just too, how could anybody think this is funny? <laughs> But Aaron was just rolling. <laughs> and the show was that. It was like a combination of, okay, this is funny in a really sick way, to, wait a minute, there's no one on earth that could find this funny. And then the sketches would just end. They would, you know, it's not like they were building toward a punchline. They just end and then go on to the next one. And every time that would happen, I would say, I hate you so much, Aaron. <laughs> and by like the seventh or eighth time, he just loved it. He wanted me to say, I hate you so much. Anyway, I think after about three and a half hours of this, I finally said, dude, I, I got to go. And he's like, no, 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 no. There's still, there's still two more seasons <laughs> of the show. There are three seasons total. Uh, and I just, yeah, I, I, I got up and I went to my room. But instead of going to sleep, I thought, you know what? I'm going to try and write something for me and Big that has that same sensibility. And foolish you. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, you said that you would do it with me. So, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Seasonal Disorder by Rich Outfield. Tell, let me know when you're ready. Oh, wait, that's actually the line from... I the... thought you were starting. <laughs> uh, just let me know when you're ready. It's recording. Just let me know when you're ready. <laughs> That's funny, Mr. Comedian. <laughs> it wasn't a joke. You can go ahead. Right now. No time like the present. Okay. <clears throat> Good evening. I'm Davith O'Malley, and I'd like to say a few words about Dengarlatrap, a remarkable new antihistamine just now getting its approval from the Federal Drug Administration. Hey, uh, and if you're like me... Uh, it's it's if, the Food and Drug Administration. Is it? Yep. You sure? Positive. Well, of course you are. <laughs> uh, just, just now getting its approval from the Food and Drug Administration. 
If you're like me, you look forward to the spring and summer months because the weather gets warmer, the trees and flowers begin blooming, and girls start wearing fewer clothes and at a younger and younger age. But also, if you're like me, you have a downside to all this wonder. Seasonal allergies. I find myself sneezing, my eyes watering, greasy discharge from my Adam's apple, runny nose, that sort of thing. But not anymore. This revolutionary new product literally obliterates those allergies. And not just for a few hours or a weekend. No, a single dose of Dengarlatrep literally assassinates allergy symptoms for up to an entire week. Hey, uh... Although technically, it's five to seven days. Assassinates? Uh, what? That's a bit of a loaded word. Assassinates brings to mind... James A. Garfield and William McKinley, that sort of thing. Well, and Theodore Roosevelt. Roosevelt wasn't assassinated. The bullet was stopped by his campaign speech. But the point is, are you sure you want to use the word assassinate? Never mind. Please continue. You're intrigued? Uh, well, sure. And why wouldn't you be, with the prospect of seasonal allergies dying on a wooden cross between a pair of thieves? This is an enormous relief to me and my made-up family. And now, it can save you from seasonal allergies, too. But I know what you're thinking. Sure, it works at first. But won't my body build up a tolerance to it? And next year, or in four, I'll be back to carrying a snot rag and nipple clamps and be sneezing a dozen times a day again. But you'd be wrong. We tested the product thoroughly since 2023, and of the more than 6,000 allergy sufferers in the program, me included, not a single one experienced a decrease in medication effectiveness. Not a one. Just think. You don't have to worry about going on hikes or smelling flowers or hanging out around playgrounds or driving with the windows down anymore. It really is a product that will change everything. So remember the name, Dengarlatrep. Say it with me, Dengarlatrep. Dengarlatrep. So good. So say sayonara to springtime allergies. Say Laniba to congestion and itchy eyes. Say Poshul Nakui to sneezing and breathing problems. There is hope for everyone out there. Dengarlatrep. Dengarlatrep. Not that time. You only get one. Oh, all right. Sorry. If we get all our clearances and the usual outlets and pharmacies can make it widely available, then seasonal allergies will be a thing of the past, like smallpox and rubella and families with seven or eight kids. My parents had 10 children. But malaria then. A better future is what I'm saying. A better life. Well, malaria is still a problem in certain areas of the world, particularly in Africa. Uh, are you sure about that? Sure, I'm sure. I read an article about it just a month or so. But, but, but it's a minor thing, right? Not like allergies are in America. No, life. it's not a minor thing. More than half a million people die of malaria every year. Come on. No, last year it was over 600,000 people. Malaria is really scary. Huh. Do you want to know what's super scary? There have been some really unsettling statistics uncovered by this particular study. Things that make you sit up and pay attention. But you thought malaria had been eradicated. 
This goes way beyond malaria, friend. Just let me finish. Dengarlitrep. A wonder drug, you say? Well, you don't have to say it. We're going to put that on every bottle. But miracles aren't without their dark side. Two of our focus group members went blind, and one gnawed off his own foot. Nearly 80 of them refused to refer to the Dixie Chicks as just the Chicks. 80 of them. That's like the number of kids your parents had. But it doesn't end there. 1,106 of seasonal allergy sufferers who started using Dengarlitrip stopped showering and began only taking baths. And they wouldn't go back. Can you imagine? Can you even imagine that? Did they say why? Not the ones who forgot how to speak English. Yes, four people began speaking Samoan, and nine more started speaking Norwegian. Norwegian, mister! Are you happy now? Why would I be happy? And one, he began using only sign language. Said he could hear just fine, but preferred to communicate with sign language. And what's the sign for seasonal allergies? That's right. It's this. Come on, there's no way that filth is this sign for seasonal allergies. They'd never need to use it because they're cured of seasonal allergies. See the irony there? But it goes deeper than that. 91 people who'd been using Dengarla Trip started eating turkey instead of chicken. And one of those was a vegetarian. Why would a vegetarian eat chicken in the first place? And more than half of our participants said that they sit down to pee. Can you imagine that? Over 3,000 women and 38 men sit down to pee. It's like the end times. You need more proof? Uh, proof of what? All right, I'll give it to you. And of the 6,000, 291 people who used Dengarla Trip, literally every single one of them also signed up for or renewed or used the password for a friend's Disney Plus service. Every single frigging one of them. Except 18. Now, if that's not an outright satanic deep state conspiracy, I don't know what is. And it obviously comes back to Dengarla Trip like those 64 people who died in their sleep with traces of medication in their bloodstream. If you look at the group that was in test group A before it got FDA approval, you will find that all but two of them said their favorite color was orange. Who loves the color orange, who? And yeah, the other two, the remaining two, the two that didn't pick orange as their color, yeah, they picked blue. I think it's clear what's going on here. I mean, a child could see it. And the host of Family Feud after Richard Dawson, but before Louis Anderson, killed himself. He committed suicide. And you ask yourself, why would the host of a popular syndicated game show take his own life? And the answer is, not that I even have to tell you at this point, but the answer, my friends, is that both Ray Combs and Richard Karn uh, were- Hey man, uh, What? I'm gonna have to interrupt you there for a minute. Huh? Why? Just for a minute. What's wrong? You said your name is David O'Malley? Well, yes. You've heard of me. From the, the tabloids? What? No. I just wanted to ask you about your name. David. Like David, but with a T-H at the end? That's right. 
That's pretty unusual. No, not unusual at all. Really? You've met other Daviths. Me? No. But they're out there. Is that some kind of Brazilian name? What, Davith? It's Welsh. Oh, okay. Well, hey, a minute ago you said I might know... Brazilian name. A Brazilian name is like Paulo or Jao or Carlos or Maria. Maria? Really? Don't be racist. I just don't understand how you could think Davith was a Brazilian name. I'm not racist. I, I just made a mistake, okay? It's not a big deal. And it's Portuguese. Portuguese names. Not Brazilian names. Oh, now who's being racist? My friend Antonio is from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And I assure you, he's never been anywhere near Portugal. Well, no, I'm sorry. I just meant that the names come from Portuguese. Because he's dirt poor. I, uh... I see. Practically homeless. He lives in squalor. All right, man. Sorry. Like an animal. I take it back, okay? Okay. Thank you. Anyway, Dangarla Trip has hurt an awful lot of people. And I, I, I think that... Wait a second, please. What? Before, like two minutes ago, you said I might know your name from the tabloids? So you do know my name? No, not at all, but... What did you mean? I might know you from the tabloids. The Cincinnati Shoveler, they called me. I never loved that name, though it does beat the Lexington Learer, the Ohio Ogler, or the Bridgeport, Connecticut Child Murderer. Oh my God. Hey, don't worry your dainty little head about it. The case was thrown out of court. The judge, it turned out, was cheating on his wife with a 60-year-old woman. Can you believe that? 60! Uh, how old was the judge? 71, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that Dangarla Trip is a dangerous and overpriced medication that never should have made it to pharmacies and children's slip and slide parties. Never! I don't think that's in question here. What? Well, what the hey are we talking about here, man? I don't know, David, Davith, whatever your name is. What are we talking about? You know, I'm not sure I know anymore. Maybe I shouldn't do this serial commercial after all. Wait, this was a cereal commercial? Well, yes. For General Mills Monster Cereals. What the hell? You, you've never heard of the Monster Cereals? I mean, there's Frankenberry, Count Chocula, Devil's Food Shake, and Yummy Mummy. Although, that one's been discontinued. What about Booberry? Fuck Booberry. Oh, man. Oh, 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 and the new one. Did you know there's a new Monster Cereal? It's called Carmella Creeper, and it's inspired by Regan McNeil and The Exorcist. No, that can't be true. It's totally true. Its motto is, it'll turn your taste buds all the way around. I think you're lying. I'll bet you a bottle of Dengarla Trip it's true. Look it up. Okay, mister, you're on. Huh. Says here their motto is, your mother eats breakfast cereal in hell. Really? Oh, geez, I, I apologize, man. I, I really do. All right, then. Can you forgive me? I suppose. But you've wasted a lot of my time here today. Well, I waste everybody's time. It's a miracle I have any Patreon supporters left. Well, I accept your apology. Let's just leave it at that. Thanks. Fruit Brute. You forgot about that one. Dang. 
You're right. I may have to kill myself. Do it soon. The weather's changing. that is it. That has brought us to the end of this episode. I hope that some of it was funny for you. And listening to me talk about my puzzlement about I think you should lose. Maybe that's amusing. Maybe it's not. Everybody has a different sense of humor. You could say, I don't think that was funny at all. But if you did, feel free to support me on Patreon and, uh, and let me know things that will never not be funny to you, no matter how many times you watch it or listen to it. I have been Rashad Field. E-T-F-N. This is fake Arnold Schwarzenegger. Normally, fake Sean Connery handles the uh, license part of our show, but Rish told him he couldn't do it after saying that Rish Outfield should be released under a Creative Commons license because he is also free and no one could sell him and no one would take credit for him, not, not even his own mother. And, and say... Fake Arnold. What are you doing? He uh, also changed the uh, attribution to uh, masturbation. Dude, I, I told him he couldn't do it so he wouldn't say those cruel and true things about me. Well, he didn't. Oh, and instead of share alike, he said share look alike. <laughs> Thank you, fake Arnold. So the... Uh, the Rich Outcast uh, is released under Creative Commons uh, Attribution 3.0 Sharealike license. You cannot sell it or claim it as your own, but you can download it and uh, share lookalike it if you want to. Okay, that's enough. How did I do? Pretty good, actually. Fruit Brute! Have you seen the monster cereal action figures that they made? I have. I think they're great. I do too. I'm really on the verge of wanting to get them, except for that they're like, I can't remember who does them, but they're like $35 or something like that each. Yeah, I feel like it's Mondo or something like that. They just showed the, the booberry one and it glows in the dark. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I can't have a giant Halloween display and not have the monster cereal action figures as part of it. That would be an abomination. <laughs> Maybe you can get like uh, pop vinyls of the monster cereals characters. I think they have those too. Of course, they're probably like specially rare and actually cost a thousand dollars a piece have to ask a crazy pop vinyl collector. That would be all of them. Why am I talking about Gilligan's Island so much? Play the awful uh, Will... What's the name of the Saturday Night Live alum that was in The Last Man on Earth? It's not Will Poulter and it's not Will Arnett. Will something. Will... Wheaton. Quill Wheaton. <laughs> Come on, it's on the tip of my brain. Doesn't matter, does it?
I was saying that you play the the one where he goes, I don't know. I was still into Star Wars longer than everybody else around me, which is fine. I found my great big container of Star Wars toys from my childhood yesterday. And I opened it. In fact, it was today. I opened it today just to look because I had had somebody offer me some money for the figures that were in it. Not, not all the figures. He, he wanted two specifically. And he offered me a lot of money. He says, if you, if you want to get rid of these two figures, you know, they're going. And I was like, what do you mean they're going for a lot? And he's like, you know, I would personally give you $200 for X and maybe $250 for Y. And I was just like, wow, that's great. That's how much they're going for. And he goes, no, they're going for a lot more than that. But that's how much I would be willing to give you. I was just like, wow, that's that's awesome. How much do I love those old Star Wars guys? And it's like, I, do I love them that much? No. Anyway, I knew that there were some in there that I don't have any love for at all, like that I never played with or that I got at the very, very end of my collecting, you know, right before I outgrew it. Uh, and there are a couple of figures in that box I saw today that I didn't have as a child, that I've picked up at some point over the years, like at a yard sale or something, and I put them in there. Figures that I, I didn't know I had. And so if it's something that I don't know I have, then I have no emotional attachment to it. Let me get rid of it. Let me sell it, especially if I can get something for it. And part of the reason that the old, the vintage Star Wars figures are worth so much is because people didn't take care of them and they didn't keep them. They got thrown away. They got donated. In Big's case, they got given to his younger siblings. Oh my gosh, this is another outtake. Sorry. Let me go back. I was just saying something that Big and I bonded over was that we had loved Star Wars. There was this guy in L.A. that I found out absolutely loved Saturday Night Live. And he had read all of these books. I guess there were cast members that had written books. There were books about the various shows. There were tons of interviews, of course, and like compilations and you know greatest hits, all that stuff. And he had read it all. And he would talk about Gene Domanian, which to me was one of the funniest names I'd ever heard. And he and I bonded over our love for Saturday Night Live. Family Dollar. Terrell's Marketplace. Shoot him, Terrell. There was this, in the season finale of Strange New Worlds, I know it was the episode before that, Lon has all these feelings for James Kirk because I guess they just had a moment and he, he died in her arms in this alternate reality that was I'd like to watch that episode again, just so I can remember. The, the Romulans went back in time, and they're, they cuff things up, right? Anyway, she's sort of sworn to secrecy about the time travel thing. She's told, hey, you're not supposed to talk about this to anybody. But I don't understand why. Who cares? Because you could say, you know, the timeline was changed, and this happened, and then this happened, but it got changed back. Well, how does that harm anything? Except for, I guess, that there is a temporal... They're like time cops, right? 
Anyway, she tells Kirk that she has this connection with him. She, but it's not with him, you know? And he says, you know, the first time I saw you, I felt like I knew you. I felt like there was something there. Okay. <laughs> ah, that's all of me. Forte, Will Forte. That's his name. Don't ever use that clip again. You promise me? I promise.